Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I am your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you can join us today. Our topic is mistakes families make when caring for a loved one. And, oh, my gosh, I cared for my mom for 30 years and my dad for four and a half. And, uh, boy, there's, there's a lot of mistakes to be had out there, but many of them we can work around if we connect to the right people and if we get educated. And so that's what we will be doing here in just a bit. Uh, but before I introduce you to our guest, I always like to give a shout out to our new listeners because they might not know who we are. And Alzheimer's Speaks is about you know, connecting everybody around the world at every level regarding dementia and caregiving. Our voice truly is to raise voices big and small from those that are diagnosed to family and professionals that care for them, uh, to businesses, to clinical trials and research, um, advocacy and activacy uh, in, in the, in the whole. So, we are live. You can join the conversation if you'd like. If you have a question or a comment about what we're talking about, call into 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Uh, for those of you that have not checked out our main hub, which is Alzheimer's Speaks, com. Please do so. We just recently updated that, and we have one whole section that is just full of free resources for you. So make sure that you, you check that out. We also have a book um, coming out in uh, early 2023 called Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How We Care. It is a story that we will read to our kids and our grandkids uh, and teachers in school, uh, librarians, and so forth. But I really think the kids are going to teach us a lot about how to care and how to look at the world a little differently. We are going to go ahead and hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and then we'll be right back with our guest. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest, there are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Well, welcome back. If you haven't checked uh, both the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner out and the Footbar Walker, uh, please do so. They have just wonderful resources there, and the Footbar Walker is just something amazing. I uh, actually had them on the show, and one party who used the the walker said she was able to keep her loved one home for four more years and saved almost two hundred thousand dollars 
And, uh, you know, they had been married over 60 years, and that was really important to them. So there's a, there's a lot of things like that that you can find also on Dementia Map, uh, and that is our global resource directory. So don't forget to check that out as well. Let's go ahead and introduce you to our guest today. Uh, we are thrilled to have Annalie Kruger with us. She is the founder of Care Right Inc., and she has helped families navigate aging and family caregiving and dementia progression um, for about 28 years. And she is a neutral third party uh, who can facilitate family meetings. And boy, there's a lot of families out there that could use her help. Uh, this can be a really difficult time when you're caring for a loved one and everyone's not on the same page. So um, definitely reach out to her and um, and talk with her. She, you know, really is all about helping people make the correct care decisions for their situation. And she teaches them how to improve their communication skills. And she also works with families across the, the U.S. Um, and so, you know, don't hesitate. Um, don't let, don't feel like, oh gosh, I'm just not good at this. This is a struggle for pretty much anybody who steps into it. And it gets more comfortable over time. But welcome, Annalie. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. I'm, I'm really happy that um, you've got such a great network of resources and support for these families and these family caregivers across the country. Well, I was one of them. That's how I got in this yep. space. <laughs> you know, I cared for my mom with dementia for 30 years. And bottom line, I was really frustrated because I thought, why aren't people talking about this? Why don't they know about this? Uh, why is there such discomfort? Where the heck are all the services, products, and tools? I know they're out there. Um, and so I just kind of went on a mission to, to bring that to light and help connect people in an, in an easy fashion. Now, before I get into my line of questioning, I always like to ask each of my guests if they've been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. Oh, absolutely. Actually, my mom uh, passed away June 12th of 2021. Um, I my dad was her primary caregiver for a number of years. She ended up with early onset dementia when she was in her 60s. We started seeing just some concerning things and some red flags and ended up getting her tested and, and she tested for, um, for Alzheimer's. At the time that she got tested, she had a third grade um, level of cognition. So, my dad was her caregiver, and then uh, I live in Florida, and I'm from Iowa, and they started coming down wintering with me in, like, 2018, mm -hmm. and so I would uh, help take care of mom. She didn't, need, she didn't need actual care. She just needed companionship and some, you know, coaching and reminders and, and direction and stuff like that, um, and then she ended up falling. This, this last time she was down here, they were down here, she ended up falling and needing, long story short, needed to go into a memory care community, and um, that's that's where she ended up passing away. Oh, sorry to hear about that. It's, um, you know, you found out your mom had, a, had the mentality of a third grader, and when we got my mom tested, we found out she had the mentality of a three-year-old, and don't let her out of your sight, and they didn't even mm -hmm. meet with us. Back in the day, they they sent that to, that they sent that report to us in the mail, and boy, that sure. pretty much knocked our socks off there. Um, let's talk about common mistakes that that a lot of families make when they're caring for a loved one. Can you highlight a few for mm -hmm. us? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> um, absolutely. So so I'll I'll talk about three common mistakes that people make because I know that we have quite quite an agenda topic uh, mm -hmm. topic of conversation for today. So three common mistakes that I see families making. I'm going to actually add four. <laughs> One common mistake is not having family meetings and not, um, not realizing or being kind of in denial when you start to see the writing on the wall that things aren't going well and then not talking about it. So when I say things not going well, like 
mom's getting more forgetful or, you know, dad's, dad's Parkinson is, Parkinson's is progressing and he's starting to fall more or they're not taking their medications or when you come visit, you notice weight loss or their food isn't, you know, um, they're eating expired food or they're taking expired medications. So those are, those are very much red flags that things are obviously not going well. Obvious red flags are, you know, when you have to continually come for rescue missions, like dad's in the hospital again, or mom had another urinary tract infection and she's weak and she's falling, or dad wandered out of the house because he's sundowning. So those are obvious red flags that things are not going well and families not communicating about it early enough or being on the same page, or this one dovetails into that, is a common mistake is families not um, really taking the time and putting effort and energy into understanding what their loved one has, whether it's dementia or Parkinson's or cancer or diabetes, not doing some self-study and some self-education about what this really entails for their loved one and their family and the finances, right? Like we know mm -hmm. dementia is one of the most expensive diseases to have because eventually they, as they progress through the disease, they will need 24-7 care. And um, Medicare does not pay for that. So that's a common mistake I see families, the common assumption I see families making is they think that Medicare is going to pay for any expense that their loved one has. So when me or my team meet with these families and they're like, well, we don't have to worry about that because Medicare will pay for it, or they think Medicare and Medicaid are the same program, and so they interchange those two different programs. And, and so it's just they're not making informed decisions because they're, they're not um, properly educated so that they can make an informed decision. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a couple mistakes is, is not identifying the red flags that are very obvious and not talking about them, not understanding the disease that their loved one has. I have many families that I work with that they still kind of argue with their loved one with memory impairment instead of joining in their journey and kind of validating and reassuring and redirecting them. They mm -hmm. haven't taken the time to educate themselves on how do I manage these types of frequent, you know, frequent questions that mom asks me all the time or how to manage wandering or sundowning or agitated behavior where she doesn't want to, you know, take her medication or she doesn't want to, you know, take a shower. So those are, those are common mistakes I see families making, not, not understanding the disease and kind of making their whole family journey even more difficult, not understanding how care is paid or how expensive care is not having their own family meetings, or even if they do try to have family meetings, and that's where there's that value of the neutral third-party person. A lot of families I work with say, you know, Annalie, we did see the writing on the wall, and I tried to have these conversations with my siblings or my parents or both, and they gave me so much pushback that I quit trying. Well, the, there's benefit in having a neutral third-party person to say, you know, kind of catch me up to speed. What, what's going on? Let's lay all the cards out on the table. What's working well? What's not working well? What are the goals here? Is the goal to age in place at home or, or are we beyond that now? Because now their care needs are so much more than what can be managed safely, properly, and affordably at home. So, so those are, those are, those are common mistakes. And one more common mistake I'm going to share because this, these are topics that we talk with families about every single day when they call us because they're in a crisis situation is ignoring not only the obvious signs that things are not going very well for their loved ones or for them at home, but ignoring when the primary caregiver say, say dad is, say dad is 80 years old and he's trying to take care of his, his 80 year old wife. And he tells the kids, I'm just, you know, I'm not sleeping well. I'm so worried about what's going to happen to her. What if something happens to me? Who's going to take care of your mom? And, and the family just kind of sometimes unintentionally, because they don't know what they don't know, but ignoring those very blatant red flags that that primary caregiver is at risk of, of injury, at risk of um, passing away, at risk of, you know, strokes or hospitalizations. 
So listening to that primary caregiver and picking up on those clues because they are the glue holding everything together. Oh, that's so true. And it, and most care partners don't like to speak up and say that, <laughs> you know. So when mm-hmm. they do, it is really critical that you listen. And and granted, there might be some personalities out there that, oh, that's just mom or dad, and they kind of whine about everything, and that's just their personality. But the majority of people I have found, um, ex- especially with spouses, they do not want to go there. Um, they don't want to admit that they're that they're struggling, and um, you know they've always kind of led the family, and and now it's really hard to ask for help. And um, mm-hmm. so I I think that is really those are really really good points. All, all of them were, um, and families don't communicate well. We're not used to having a meeting, and you really have to have, I think, some form of structure and trust. And a lot of times, depending on family dynamics, that can, that can, you know, that whole trust level can really be missing in some families. Well, and so having someone like yourself as a third party to just like, okay, fill me in, you know, so everyone's, mm-hmm. they're not talking really to themselves or talking to you. And it seems like outside parties a lot of times um, are looked more seriously at what they say than somebody in a family because of, of past mm-hmm. dynamics that are still still yeah. going on with that. Well, so. and the other, yeah. And, you know, kind of catching on a couple of things that, cause that was like a really loaded few sentences, right? Cause everything mm-hmm. about aging and caregiving is loaded, <laughs> you know, it's emotionally mm-hmm. loaded. It's physically loaded. You know, and and when when a parent who's a primary caregiver starts, when they actually do admit, hey, I'm struggling here, when they make those verbalizations, when they actually say it, things are critical because especially mm-hmm. in that generation, especially if it's, you know, either the, the wife or the, the husband, you know, they're used to that generation in the 80s and 90s and who are 100 years old, that generation was tense to be pretty private about things. And so that's why most of the kids, when they call me because they're in crisis and they just learned that things aren't going very well, or they finally realized things aren't going very well with their parents. They're like, we had no idea. They're blindsided by how poorly their parents are doing, or they're just shocked that dad just had a stroke. Well, no one should be surprised when that primary caregiver has a stroke or a heart attack or takes ill or passes away. Nobody should be Mm -hmm. surprised by that. The signs were there. We just have to be educated so that we can pick up on it. And if we can't manage those types of situations as a family internally, as a family, you have to, you have to use an outside resource to help you. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think so often you know, and I know I, that was me. I, I worked in real estate for 25 years and I helped the other families transition all the time and I could do it real easily and, and I did it really well. But when it came to my own family, I found that mm-hmm. I had this unconscious belief that like older illness was 10 years out, you know, when it was, when yeah. I was, when I was dealing with my folks. And so when it hit and there was no denying my dad had brain cancer, my mom had dementia it was like, wow, what a slap in the face. But yet there were signs, stuff was off mm-hmm. all along, but nobody wanted to believe, you know, to believe that. And so it's really important. The other thing I found is that families aren't always really organized in terms of all the stuff they're going to need regarding, mm-hmm. you know, a list of friends, of doctors, of um, finances and things that could all come your way or, you know, just getting paperwork in order. There can be, those can be really tough conversations when you're caring for somebody to yeah. know that you kind of have a, a grab, uh, grab and go binder and, um, and documents, mm-hmm. um, you know, for people. Um, so we'll, we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, unless you want to say something about that right now. 
Um, yeah, I'd love love to. You know, when when we look at you know my typical day, for example, it's it's crisis call after crisis call. No one calls me because things are going well, right? Mm-hmm. And the aging the aging process and dementia journey, they're just they're bumpy, and you need to know that going into it that it, it's not going to be smooth sailing. And one way to safeguard yourself, your loved one, and your family in every single way is to have that grab-and-go binder type of of tool, you know, making sure that you, who are your parents' doctors, what take for medication, what do they have for insurance, do they have their living will, their power of attorney, is it updated, or is the power of attorney that they put put in place for medical and financial decision-making, did they do that 30 years ago, never communicated who they named as the power of attorney, or maybe the person they named 20 or 30 years ago is no longer alive or they have dementia themselves or the relationship, that trusted relationship is changed now and they wouldn't want that person to be their decision maker. So what's great about that grab and go binder is it makes you look at your documents and say, okay, are these actually updated? And are these wishes still my current wishes? But it also gets everybody organized. So if there is long-term care insurance or dad is a veteran and, and he's getting VA benefits or they have a financial planner or an attorney, getting all of that information in one place and at your fingertips because at some point you will need it. If your mm-hmm. loved one has dementia, at some point whomever is the power of attorney is going to have to step in and make those financial decisions. And they will have to step in and make those medical decisions because as dementia progresses, they absolutely will not be able to make decisions for themselves. And so it's better to have these types of conversations sooner rather than later while your loved one is still cognitive enough to be able to say, yes, this is what my wishes are. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Many times when families are coming to me, they, they truly, these, it's, it's always the adult kids, right? Because they end up being the assisted living for their parents, and then they end up being burned out family caregivers. So they are the ones that typically call me, and they have no idea what their parents have for finances. They have no idea how to even get into, like, their parents' cell phone. If their parent has a cell phone, they don't know the code. They have no idea who the doctors are. They have no idea if dad and mom have long-term care insurance. When I ask questions, the answers are almost always, I don't know. We've never talked about anything like that. And now dad had a stroke and we don't know where any of this information is. And we need to make sure that they can still get their bills paid, but we don't even know what accounts they have, what passwords, what banks they use. So really getting everything organized and buttoned up is going to be in your favor. It's so sad when people wait until there's a crisis or a death to try to figure out all all of this information. And as that person who has dementia, maybe they were the person who took care of all the bills and the finances and met with a financial planner and made sure the car had its oil change, you know, but no one's communicating about, okay, if if I can't do this and I have to pass the baton on to someone else to do it, they're not given the tools to be successful at their new at their new job or at their new role as a power of attorney. Yeah, very very true. Um, what you know, we talk a lot and we hear a lot about caregiver burnout. Uh, how do you describe it? How do you define it? You, I'm sure you see it all the time, just like I do. Yeah, well, every single every single family who calls me is a burned out caregiver. So first of all, I think to back up because we can't assume that people realize that they're a caregiver, right? So like when I do speaking engagements and I start out, one of my first questions is how many of you are caregivers? There might be two or three people that raise their hands. And then when I educate them about what a caregiver actually is, and then I ask the question again, then like almost the entire room raises their hands. They're like, oh, I am a caregiver. So what, when you're a care, when we talk about what is a caregiver, it's any, any task or anything that you're doing, any time or energy that you're spending um, or physical help that you're providing to another person, right? So like I'm a caregiver to my dad, even though it doesn't feel like I'm a caregiver, but I coordinate his care, like, because I don't have to physically take care of him, right? He's alert, mm-hmm. he's oriented, he's 85, he lives with me in the winter now that mom's passed away. He can physically take care of himself. He can feed himself. He can bathe himself. 
but he has a hard time navigating, you know, all of these electronic records and, you know, trying to call and coordinate his own care because it's not like the old days where you just call your doctor and someone answers the phone, right? You have to press mm-hmm. 19 different options to be able to get to somebody. And when you have hard of hearing, you, you just can't easily navigate that type of system. And so I coordinate all of his doctor's appointments. I coordinate his medication to make sure he doesn't run out of medication. I call the pharmacy. You know, that's care coordination. I go with him to his doctor. I take time away from my business to go with him to his doctor's appointments. You know, so those are examples of what a caregiver is. And obviously, if you're providing hands-on care like bathing, dressing, toileting, grooming, you know, setting up medications, preparing meals, or even dropping off meals, having to go pick up their mail because their driveway, like in, in the Midwest, we have, you know, sloped driveways sometimes, and those are icy. So, you know, we you, you don't want your loved one sliding down the driveway to just go get their mail. So anytime you're doing anything, any activity or act to help your loved one be more successful, that's caregiving. If you're at night, you can't sleep, and you have all this angst because you're waiting for the next shoe to drop and that next crisis phone call that mom fell or she got lost driving to the grocery store. That's, that's emotional caregiving as well. And that's, that's where there's that high risk of burnout. So we see this every single day with our families. And that's why I do as many of these podcasts and radio shows and TV shows and speaking engagements as I can to educate consumers that if you're a caregiver, it's not going to get easier, you know, as your loved one's needs change and they need more and more care, more and more oversight, more patient advocacy, it becomes a full-time job, even if you just have one parent, let alone two. So we want to safeguard our families. We want to safeguard our families from getting burned out. When I ask moms and dads, because my client is the whole family, right? It's a holistic mm-hmm. planning approach. When I ask moms and dads, what are your goals as you age? It's always the same two responses in the 30 years I've been working with families. The first thing out of their mouth is always, every single time, I want to age in place at home. The second goal that they have that is always the same is I don't want to be a burden on my kids. But guess who is calling Care Right for aging planning solutions? It's always the adult kids. Nobody wants to admit that their parent has become like over overburdening for them where they're missing their work or their husbands or wives are getting frustrated with them because they don't have emotional energy or time for their own marriage or their own families. So we want to safeguard those family caregivers by mm-hmm. putting that plan in place. Yeah, so, so important. And, the, you know, and like you said, caregiving can kind of sneak up on you. It's like, well, at first, you know, you're, I'm just bringing mom grocery shopping or I'm picking up groceries or I'm running for a prescription. And then all of a sudden you're cooking meals or cleaning. And it just, it kind of sneaks in there. <laughs> and, and I call that, I call that the caregiver snowball. It starts out manageable and then pretty soon you're like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? I am way in over my head. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. And so I I think it's really important for people to understand if you're wondering, how did I get here? (laughs) Everybody asks themselves Mm -hmm. that, you know, how did he, how did he get out of control? Um, And again, that's where pulling in a, a third party who's, these, you know, these stories unfold over and over and over again can really help uh, help some missteps and uh, get you educated to even know what's coming in the future. Uh, let's get mm-hmm. into uh, what an aging plan might look like uh, for somebody if they're developing one. Yep. So an aging plan, I call it an aging plan because families don't tend to create one on their own and you can't expect someone to create an aging plan when they don't have the right information, right? Like mm-hmm. if they don't understand how care is paid or how to navigate the healthcare system, which is way more complex than it ever needed to be, but good job healthcare for making it really complicated and confusing and overwhelming for families to navigate between hospitals and what different levels of care are. So when we talk about aging planning, that's what we do. Like tip, we have a variety of different types of planning and packages that we offer, but like the most common frequently um, 
that we have is that comprehensive plan where we're facilitating the family meeting and saying what is working well, what is not working well. So what's not working well is the whole reason why the family called in the first place. Dad's mm-hmm. dementia progressed. I'm getting burned out. I, I couldn't take that job promotion because mom and dad need too much of my time and energy. Or I'm getting ready, you know, my husband wants to divorce me because I'm, you know, he feels like the fam- his, our own family is, you know, last on the totem pole of priorities. You know, so there's all sorts of what's not working well. Or my parents aren't taking their medications. You know, there's, there's always a whole slew of what is not working well. And, and so when I work with families, we talk about, well, what are the challenges in your day? And I get everybody's input, right? Because everybody's got a different perspective of what is working well and what's not working well. And everyone has a different um, education level of what they think is quality of life and how well things are going. Some people aren't concerned that mom and dad fall twice a week. You know, they're like, well, yeah, that's, that's how it is when you're old. Well, <laughs> But let's safeguard that, right? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's put some safety prevention things in place. And they're like, oh, we never thought about that. You know, and so so aging planning is really getting the lay of the land. What's working well? What are the challenges at home? Is the home even senior safe? Especially if their goal is to age in place at home, the first thing is they have to be able to afford it. And number two is their house has to be senior safe. So a Mm -hmm. lot of families, you know, like even my own parents were like that. They lived in the same farmhouse for 55 years, right? So, you know, how how senior safe is that? If you've got, you know, carpet that's bubbled or burned out light bulbs, like, so those are like how granular we get to details because it's those granular details that people don't think about and that's why they don't succeed at home. Yeah. So... Or the snow rugs that are all over the place that people have no idea what a big tripping hazard those things are. I know. Well, yeah, and bubbled carpet because they never stretched it or replaced the carpet or, you know, just tri-level homes. We have a lot of those, you know, in the Midwest where you come in the front door and you either have to go up or down. Well, that's not great for someone who's a fall risk, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and so... You know, even like with the hurricanes, for example, because I'm in Florida. So even with like the with Hurricane Ian and with Hurricane Irma, all these adult kids, you know, flew their loved one up north to be out of harm's way of the hurricane. And then my phone rang off the hook because they're like, oh, my gosh, mom keeps falling. Or I didn't know that dad needed reminders to take his medication or you know, I didn't know that dad was incontinent. Now our house smells like a nursing home. And so it's just a lot of what we do with aging planning is, is educating families about aging, about dementia progression, if that applies to that family, but also what those care options are and the pros and cons of what they're what they're thinking about, like the pros and cons of aging in place at home. Do you do you have $25,000 a month to be able to pay 24-7 home care workers to come into your house? And what's the plan if the home care worker doesn't show up for their shift or you don't like having someone there all of the time? You know, what is what's, you know, so that's what we talk about with an aging plan. And even though we know people want to age in place at home, we can we can make that happen, right, if they've got the money and they can afford to. Um, because Medicare does not pay for this and neither does Medicaid. <laughs> so this is mm-hmm. all out of pocket or VA, you know, VA benefits or long-term care insurance or reverse mortgage, whatever, whatever way that they are planning on paying for care. But we also know that assisted living centers and memory care facilities and nursing homes are full of people who also wanted to age in place at home. So that's why we talk about, okay, let's, that's great. We can plan on that. We can that's everybody's on the same page with that. And here are the triggering events on to know when that's not working anymore, right? But mm-hmm. what does that look like if they can't stay at home? Then what's that next level look like? So where does it make sense for mom and dad to live to receive the kind of care that they need? And if in this world where you know, 30 years ago, my typical family, they all lived down the street from each other. So they all worked as a team and, you know, would tag team their parents and and we were able to keep them at home more easily because they all lived right there. But 
through the course of time, the family profile changed, right? Like kids live all across the country and they just can't simply easily hop on a plane every time there's a problem with mom and dad, but that is what they're doing, but it's not sustainable. So we Mm -hmm. talk about where does it make sense if you can't stay at home, where does it make sense for you to live? Does it, does that mean that you may need to move from Tucson, Arizona, mom and dad to move up to Cincinnati where, you know, your daughter is who has the time, the emotional bandwidth to be able to be your advocate and help you, you know, visit with you in the care communities and stuff like that. So we do what's called a care matrix. And this is what we teach families to do as well. If they don't want to work with us directly, we teach them how to do this, um, how to create their own aging plan as well. So, so we teach them, you know, through the course of that care matrix, we do all of the market research on these care communities, on these home care companies or hospices or whatever it is that we need to deal with for our client We get their staffing ratios, their turnover rates. We get their levels of care that they offer. Um, We look at the state surveys. So we have a whole database that we use, and we do the the work for the family. We come up with five to eight different care community options is the goal. It saves the family the time, money, and stress and the learning curve of having to call all these facilities and then find out, oh, well, mom and dad don't – you know, you have to financially qualify to get into these care communities. You have to physically, cognitively, and behaviorally qualify to get into these care communities. You can't just pick a facility and say, well, that's where I want mom and dad to go, because what if they don't have enough money to get in there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you waited so long at home trying to help them age in place at home that now they don't even qualify for assisted living level of care. They only qualify for either memory care or nursing home. And so, So we do all of that legwork for families so they're not wasting time touring facilities that aren't even options for their loved ones, right? And then we also teach them, because one of the reasons I started my business in the first place is because I used to do the tours in these care communities with families, and they had no idea what questions to ask or what to look for. And that's one of the reasons I started my business in the first place, is to help guide these families so they could make smarter, smarter decisions. And so we actually teach our families what are the differences in independent living, assisted living, memory care, alarmed memory care versus just secured memory care? You know, there's different levels of care that families, they, they don't understand what they all mean. And so then they make the mistakes of putting their loved one in a facility that they didn't do any due diligence about or they didn't understand that, okay, well, when mom needs a wheelchair or a Hoyer lift, she can't stay in this assisted living anymore because they're not licensed for that. So then they end up disrupting their parent again because they didn't know what they didn't know. So, so we teach families all about that. We teach families also um, how to tour these communities and what questions to ask and what to look for. And we teach them how to interview home care companies and how to broach those topics with their parents about, you know, it's, it's, we all agreed with this aging plan that if these five triggers happened, that it's time to implement home care. And so uh, we also teach families how to be a bold advocate. We know that care in some of these communities wasn't great to start with. And since the pandemic, the quality of care has really plummeted, plummeted in many of these care communities and with the home care, home care agencies. And so we teach families how to be a bold advocate, make sure that when you visit, they didn't put three adult de- adult depends on your loved one because they don't have enough staff to toilet your mom or they're just too lazy to toilet her and they leave it for the second shift to pick up, right? So, mm-hmm. so there's like eight pages of how to be a bold advocate that we provide and we go over with our families through the course of that aging plan. And then the last step of that aging plan is because the whole point of that care matrix is do those tours now, even though the intention is to stay at home. The reality is some of these really good quality care communities have months or years of waiting list. And so every day that you don't plan, someone else did. And so you're going to find at some point there's going to be a medical crisis, and then you're going to be forced into making these really big decisions quickly, and you're not going to have the luxury of time to go tour these care communities. And so your loved one ends up in whatever facility has an open bed at the time, and that doesn't mean that it's going to be the the greatest fit. So. Uh- 
that that's why we so, do aging planning. That is so true. And and when I was in real estate working with uh, seniors in transition, I, I always recommended get out there, you know, and, and see what things are because so many of them have misconceptions of what's available. And mm-hmm. it makes your job so much easier if you've already got – you know, if you've already made that tour, if you've already made uh, connections, now in, in this day and age, the same staff may not be there, but it will lighten right. the burden when the time comes. Um, I'll give the example when my dad uh, had brain cancer and um, he was doing really well. And one day he, he, instead of taking the elevator, he decided to walk the steps and he tumbled on the steps two flights and he was never oh able to, to go home again. And so... In a seven-county area here in the Twin Cities, and there's all kinds of communities, there was one male bed available. Mm-hmm. And yep. and we were extremely lucky because it was two blocks from my house. But mm-hmm. it could have been two hours away just as mm-hmm. easily. And we, yeah. we would not have had a choice. So. You know, knowing what's available, and again, sometimes you're not going to have a choice in terms of mm-hmm. where somebody can go because beds and staffing, you know, aren't there or, you know, they don't meet the criteria. Like you said, it it is so important to, because the more people you meet with, the more things you see, um, the easier some of the questions I think will come to you personally to ask because you'll learn from everybody you meet. And see what's out there. And, um, yeah, I just, I I can't recommend that enough. Um, I, well, I think it's a great way to get educated. It, you do have to, you do have to be an educated consumer. You know, Google will only get you so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you, and each person's situation is so entirely, I mean, they're all in, a variation of the same sort of predicament when they reach out to me, right? They start mm-hmm. out just, they're burned out family caregivers. They have no idea what their their options are for their parents. They love their parent and they feel really horribly guilty for even calling. Like it takes courage to call a stranger and say, I need help. But we honor that because we know that they've already, whether it's been a caregiving scenario for a few weeks, months, or years, They've done what they can. Now it's time to figure out, okay, that, well, you've realized now that what we're doing as a family is not sustainable, and I'm starting to resent my siblings because they're not helping enough. Like they, I thought they would pitch in more, but they're not. Or they're starting to resent their parent because they have to be, like, basically on call and, and miss work and, and miss time away from their own family on all these what I call rescue missions. And mm-hmm. so – we we need to honor honor every every single minute that families are trying to help their parents and and their loved ones but the reality is it's just simply not sustainable you need you need to have a plan in place cuz things are going to get dicey really quickly and another another mistake that families make is they always think they have more time to figure things out well you know what all the people that had a major stroke last thursday didn't wake up thinking, huh, I think I'm going to have a major stroke and then derail my finances and derail my family and figure it and make my family have to figure out, okay, what are my potential care options and my end of life wishes if I don't come through with a stroke, right? Mm-hmm. So we always think we have more time. I don't want to be alarming to people, but I'm here to say if if people would just basically shadow me for a week, they would see why I'm basically begging <laughs> like so passionate about if you're listening to this, let's put a plan in place because you won't have the time that you think that you do. You know, okay. it's just, it's life has its own agenda and we, we want to help everybody be successful and understand what their care options are based on what they can afford. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the other thing too is when you're prepared, it, you know, and no matter what happens, a crisis is a crisis is a crisis. But when you at least are are educated and have some knowledge, your journey is going to be much easier than if you weren't and starting from oh, scratch. For sure. And and, and having and having your documents in order instead of trying to scramble and find all that information when you should be at the hospital meeting with the doctors. Like the more that we can put in place, the the more peace of mind everybody has. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I know with my folks, I, I ended up getting just a bunch of three-ring binders for all their finances, for their friends, for the, just, you know, here's the house, here's the cabin, here's the vehicle. I mean, all of that stuff mm-hmm. you're going to you're gonna need eventually, you know, one way or the other. And um, who are the contacts for all those? And the list of the doctors was, like, shockingly long. You know, I was I was younger mm-hmm. when I started dealing with this, and I'm like, my God, I don't really even have a primary, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't go to the yeah. doctor very often. And you've got 12, you know, and then you've got all the yeah. appointments that, you know, someone's got to, you know, keep a handle on and stuff. So, yeah, it can it can, uh, it can can go from their crisis to your own crisis um, internally um, real, real easily. Again, if you're listening and you'd like to call in, we've, we only have about um, a little under 15 minutes left, but feel free at 323-870-4602. I want to ask you, I mean, I can tell you're a huge advocate and that you want the rest of us to become advocates for our elders. Can you tell us why that's so critical? I mean, you've talked about the crisis. You've you've told us, you know, decisions will be easier, but are there some stats out there about this as well? Yeah, I mean, and not to, my role is to never, my intention is to never scare people, but to educate people, right? It's just that some of that means that it's going to be scary things. So World Health Organization, as an example, World Health Organization did a study in 2020 and found that 64% of the nursing home, and we're talking about nursing home, not assisted living or memory care, we're talking about nursing home workers that were surveyed, um, admitted to abusing or neglecting the residents under their care. So that's alarming. And that was in 2020. And I, we have a, I have a patient advocacy division to care right because aging planning and care advocacy go hand in hand, right? And mm-hmm. so we know that the care in these communities and by the home care workers was depending on the type of facility and the type of leadership that that community had. Um, but, but I can tell you that since and after the pandemic, the quality of care in many of these care communities and even with the home care companies has plummeted. You know, they, there's massive turnover in leadership positions. And if there's no executive director or director of nursing or, you know, if there's, if there's not reliable leadership in these care communities, it tends to be the wild, wild west because there's no leadership, there's no supervision, and there's no, certainly no management making sure that, residents are being properly taken care of, that they're being toileted, that they are, um, you know, getting to meals and actually getting their food, you mm-hmm. know, so, so it's really important that, you know, our, our loved ones as they age become more dependent and more vulnerable and they can't necessarily advocate for themselves, especially if they have memory impairment, they simply can't navigate or they can't mm-hmm. navigate, but they certainly can't advocate for themselves. So that means either family has been to that role or they need to hire a professional advocate or a layered approach of divide and conquer <laughs> so that family can decide how do you want to spend your time and your energy and the rest of your relationship that you have with your loved one. Do you want to spend it as the son or the daughter or the spouse, or do you really want to be, you know, the advocate where you have to chase down that missing sweater again or go to all these different care conferences and stuff like that. So when we talk about why advocacy is important is because there's there's a lot of great healthcare workers out there, right? But there's also a lot of not great healthcare workers out there and they, they don't get paid well. They don't always have the best benefits, but certainly the leadership piece is a huge part of the problem. When there's turnover in leadership, there is not supervision for these workers. And so even with even with one of our, for example, with one of our clients during the pandemic when all of these facilities were shut down, even as a professional advocate, me nor my team were not allowed into these facilities to continue to advocate for our loved one. And the care plummeted. And so we ended up having to call the state 
um, because we had so many concerns and we're so so worried about one of our one of our clients. And so when I submitted that 35-page complaint letter to the state um, and kept on them, I called them every day, like, when are you going to come out and do your complaint survey? And they're like, we aren't doing complaint surveys during COVID. We're only doing infection control surveys. And so um, they told me that the state told me, and this is for Florida, they told me that they get 200 complaint calls a day from families, Mm -hmm. 200 a day. And that's just Florida. Wow. So so there are millions of families out there trying to advocate for their loved one in these healthcare facilities or hospitals or with home care companies and they're not getting traction. And so that's why we teach families if if they don't want to work with us directly as their patient advocate, that's okay, but then you're gonna to need to do it on your own. And that's why we that's why we teach families how to be that bold advocate and how to handle complaints. Like if you voice the concern to administration or to leadership and nothing happens, what are those next steps? Like how do you how do you get these problems resolved? And so we basically teach them what we do. <laughs> Right, so that their loved one can have the best possible outcomes, and as an adult kid, you can actually sleep because you're 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 advocating properly for your loved one. You can't assume just because your loved one is spending ten grand in a nursing home or you're in a facility that they're getting the proper care. Yeah, well, and it's and it's how it's communicated too. You're you're much better mm-hmm. off, you know, doing something by email that's trackable. Um, yes. versus, versus even mail, unless it's certified. And, uh, you know, and a lot of times we talk to people on the phone and, and then it can turn into hearsay and what was really said and, you know, all of those types of things. I had a friend whose mom was in memory care and then was supposed to be on hospice. And, you know, she would come every day and for, I can't remember if it was four or five days in a row, she was in the same clothes and she knew she hadn't been changed mm-hmm. and she yep. needed help. She needed help drinking and they would bring her her water and they would put it on the nightstand and, but her, she, you know, she was dehydrated and, and my friend couldn't mm-hmm. see that. And she went to multiple people um, in the community and it was like, Oh, I don't really work this floor. I'm just filling in. Or um, that's not my patient, you know, to, to care yep. for. You have to talk to Sally or Joe. or And even the nurse kind of pushed it off. And she just got livid. She's like, you know, she said, well, we, we bring her water. And she's like, yeah. And she picked up one of the glasses of the water on the end table and said, would you drink this? It's moldy. These shouldn't mm-hmm. be here. You know, if you're doing your job, they should be cleared. And everybody yep. should know that my mom needs assistance with that. And and again, it's not like that everywhere, but boy, you have to know who to who to complain to, you know, and how to do that. And and yet, I know there's a lot of families that are afraid um, if they mm-hmm. complain that care might be worse, and so they don't. Right. And so it's it's a it's a it's really it's difficult. And and I haven't been there, but a lot of times. You know, if you go in with some solutions, too, because a lot of times families, I think, have solutions of how this could be done differently and share that, you know, I've had really good reception to that as well. So it's not just a complaint. And sometimes we we don't have a clue how to fix it because we don't know their procedures and stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, it's it's really important. You had mentioned the care conferences, and I know a lot of times people go, I don't have time to go to those. Well, you know, you can be beamed in by a Zoom or phone nowadays, too. I mean, people have gotten more flexible with that. And, and I'll give a really simple example of, of you know, for my mom, they would say, well, you know, she's she, you, you keep bringing her Dr. Pepper and, you know, she really should lose some weight. And I'm like, really? No. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, why don't yeah. you bring her, instead of a, a regular Dr. Pepper, bring her a diet? I said, because she knows the difference. And at this point, mm-hmm. it's about quality of life. And then the nurse smiles and she says, I have to bring this up every time. It's my job. I just need to yep. document what you're saying. Yep. So, you know, again, sometimes they just have to do things a certain way. And they want us to say something different because they're even yeah. on their side. But that's kind of can be policy. But that, those little things can make a huge difference. 
in and of themselves in terms of how your how your loved one is treated. Um, one question for you, because I know that there's a lot of businesses out there that that get paid to do referrals to certain places. Do you um, mm. do you get referrals? No. Okay. Because I think that no, I think that so, that's something people don't know either. Of what, that's of a really good works. question. I'm actually glad you asked that because some people think that um, we do placement, and we aren't doing placement. We're doing family consulting, family guidance, and, and healthcare navigation, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, how are you going to pay for care? And then we help them explore options on how to pay for care. Or maybe we have to have a financial care conference with a accountant and the financial planner and the attorney and the family and say, okay, here's, you know, $25,000 a month in care. How are we going to pay for that? So I, you know, it's that collaborative approach, but as far as like um, those placement companies and, and there's many of them out there, one things I want the listeners to know about that is, and it's my job is just to provide the pros and cons, right? But these placement companies, it's a transaction. So what they do, like how this works with them, is they get the referral of, okay, Ethel needs to go into a memory care facility. And so they only they only expose the family to the facilities or the care communities where they get the kickback from. And mm-hmm. so even if facility B down the street is a much better fit, there's no financial incentive for them to show the family or to even express that that's an option to that family because there's no kickback that they're going to get. So they they only refer families to where they get the kickback, where they actually have a contract with these facilities. And how it usually works is the placement company gets um, the first 30 days of room and board or rent. And then then the facility gets paid thereafter, you know, by the family. Mm But what happens is it's a transaction, and so you get mom moved into a place, and families love these placement companies because it doesn't cost them anything, right? But there's no family meeting. (laughs) There's no grab-and-go binder. There's no family mediation. There's no follow-up. There's no here's how you advocate. Here's how you, you know, if you have concerns or complaints with a care community, here's how you do this. It's a transaction. Mom moves in, and then they're done with you. (laughs) So. I get, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, I get 170, I average 175 new families a year just because they went the route of a placement company and there's no hands-on anything. There's no white glove approach. And so they're like, when I ask them, well, how did you, how did you choose that particular facility? They're like, well, we use a placement company. But now mom's running out of money, and they told us we need to move her, or now she needs more care than what, they're provide, what they can provide, and now we need to move her. Well, you know, if you do things right the first time, it does, it, yeah, it's going to be costly, but it's going to save you time, money, and stress in the long run as well. Because dementia patients and elderly people don't do well when they're bounced around into these different care facilities simply because the family doesn't know what they don't know. So, exactly. Um, it's a transaction. So, you know, if you're listening to this, you just have to decide, okay, am I comfortable with it just being a transaction or do I really want, you know, someone who cares and knows and has my my family's best interest at heart who's going to help me make these decisions? The other thing is because we are nationwide, we, we do about 50 to 60 of these care matrix projects per week for families across the country because there aren't other companies doing what I do. And that's why we have so much volume and, and there's a demand for what we do. And so even when we do these care matrix projects and it takes us about 30, takes my team about 30 hours to get one matrix location done because we physically, like we call these facilities, we interview them, we get all of this information and they'll even they'll sometimes not even call us back because they're like we don't we don't pay kickbacks and I'm like great because we don't accept kickbacks we're fee mm-hmm. for service for the family and then they're like oh oh wow that's that's cool and I'm like I know because we care about what the family wants not about a commission so yeah um, so so that's my point is that they will only expose the family to whatever facilities they get the kickback from so if you're comfortable with that great but. Mm-hmm. The reality is there's no there's no ancillary services outside of that. It's just simply a transaction. Unfortunately, when your loved one goes to the hospital, the hospitals love to refer to these placement companies, and this is why. 
because it doesn't cost the family anything. So there's no pushback on the family yeah. side, right? Exactly. And because the hospital. I'm going to cut you off at that because we, we uh-huh. need to wrap up, and I want to make sure that we get um, our audience your contact information. Oh, sure. So, Annalie, this has been a great conversation. People can reach you on Facebook at Caring Right. Uh, uh, in, let's see, Carrie, Caring Right, let's see, what is no, it? No, Care Right, Inc. Care. Care Right, Inc. Okay, and I, I have a, uh, something else at the end of that, so that was weird, so I'm glad we got that straight. And then you also <laughs> have a Family Caregiver Solution Facebook group, which is carerightu.com. You're on LinkedIn as Care Right. You have a YouTube channel, and then they can also find you on LinkedIn. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and thank you so much, Annalie. Really, really appreciate it very much. Bye now, everyone. Thank you so much. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.